Angela retained me to represent Lauren and help her secure IEP services to support Lauren as she was navigating high school. When I met them, Lauren was in a residential treatment center. She had a history of educational and emotional challenges, however, had never been assessed for special education and had not received any supports from her school district. Oftentimes, students show signs of educational challenges that go unrecognized by school districts. You may hear things about your child or read them in report cards, such as, they talk too much, if they would try harder, if they were more organized, they have a hard time starting schoolwork, they don't finish schoolwork, they don't turn in schoolwork, they are not working up to their ability, they don't pay attention. All of these things are clues and should trigger further investigation by the school, but in this case, and in many others, they didn't. Nothing had ever been done to identify and support Lauren. Angela and I worked together to get Lauren the help she required and deserved. It was a long road home, and she made it. Remember, school districts have a legal obligation to child find, which means they are actively supposed to seek and identify students who potentially may have a disability. Schools are obligated to assess these students and provide a free and appropriate public education, FAPE. All too often, this does not happen, and the student suffers the consequences of the school district failure. First of all, Lauren, I want to say that you are so beautiful and your children are so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I am so grateful and proud grateful for you and proud of you, really. And that's really one of the reasons I really want to talk to you because there are so many younger kids who are in a place similar to the path you have traveled. Yeah. Your relationship, what has happened for both of you, really is a story to give people hope you know yeah because back then you would have never imagined that this would be your beautiful life you didn't know you could have this life Lauren yeah you did it with the support and love of your family you figured it all out and look at where you are now I mean it's like a miracle yeah, I was very, very lost for a long time and in a lot of pain. A lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are a lot of people in a lot of pain that they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to talk about it. They mm -hmm. don't even understand what's going on inside of them. And let's stop for a minute and say hi to your mom. Hi, Angela. Very proud of you too, Miss RN. Yeah. He retires and then goes and gets their RN. And then it's like Betty Crocker, Martha Stewart, and everyone else rolled into one. Oh, that would be your mother, Angela. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if you are going to even be able to identify or, you know, but to the extent that you can, will you? Tell me what you remember about that time, like how you felt, what was going on sort of in your mind, in your heart back then that kind of was playing tricks on you. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a lot of my teenage years is actually blacked out and if there's lots of years missing and some things I remember here and there, but I just remember I never understood why I was in pain. All I knew was I didn't want to be aware of my surroundings. I didn't want to be where I was. I just wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be distracted. I wanted to be gone. I wanted to run away. I want to do this and that. And I couldn't be in the moment. And I didn't understand why I was in that pain. And like you said, a minute ago, I didn't know what I was feeling. All I knew was I couldn't handle this. And so all of the actions that you took at that time were really just a way for you to try to cope with your current yeah. situation. Yeah, and yeah. it took a Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
it took a lot of years of therapy and a lot of years of residential treatment and like inpatient and then outpatient and a lot of dozens and dozens of like professionals trying to talk to me through it for me to realize hey you're doing this because you're in pain let's deal with it I was like, oh, this isn't just, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Now, I guess now I realize I'm in a lot of pain. I need to deal with my traumas. So when you were going through it, you were even in denial that you were in pain. Yeah, I I mean, I guess I kind of knew. I just, I felt like I couldn't control myself. There was no way, and I didn't even, I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was at all. I didn't know why I was so impulsive and I couldn't control myself and why I needed to act out so much. I, I know because you have always been a very sensitive person. Yeah. So even when that was going on, you had a tremendous amount of guilt and apathy for yeah. for how your mother was feeling in this process. And, and I know how much you two love each other and support yeah. each other. But even with all that, you didn't have the ability to stop yourself from harming yourself. I felt so much guilt every single day for what I was doing to my mom and my dad and my stepdad and my sister and everyone who loved me. I felt so guilty, but I, I couldn't stop. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't control myself. I wasn't able to stop. How is it that you, like, when was the aha moment that you realized that your actions were really a product of your pain? I think when I was running away over and over and over, I would come home, I would go go out beyond drugs, I would come home for a day or two, sleep. My mom would call the police, have them write me a ticket, because after years, she realized they're not going to do anything. So she hoped maybe they would arrest me, and then I would learn my lesson. So they eventually did, eventually arrested me, and I went to juvie for two weeks and was on house arrest and formal probation and in juvie i remember thinking like this is really not fun being told when i can go pee or when i can go shower for 30 seconds or when i can eat like i i don't want this life i don't i, I want to be free i don't want to feel like this and i was still in a lot of pain for years after that even after i got everything together i was still mentally not healthy even though i was not doing unhealthy behaviors and when i was 19 i got pregnant with jameson and that's when I was like, I really need to get my cat together. I need to pull my head out of my butt, and I need to deal with my problems. Otherwise, it's going to affect my children. And then did you go into therapy? Um, yeah, I for about the first six weeks, actually, I just went to my mom's house. I didn't see anyone. I didn't do anything. I just sat there journaling out all of my worst fears that I never wanted to deal with, my worst memories, wrote it all out and cried hysterically about it. And then I started doing a lot of therapy like once a week. That's amazing. But you yeah. you kind of been you had been in therapy off and on quite a bit. Yeah. Age ten. Oh, wow. yeah. I just I never really took it fully seriously until then. That's when I'm like, okay, I need to work on myself. I need yeah. to Make and, and, and I'm not sure it's saying you didn't take it seriously, Lauren, but I no. just think that you didn't have the tools to really access. And part of that denial that it's even there, like not feeling it, yeah. is, that was your coping mechanism for that everything was, that was under there. And it was you don't, exactly, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And you don't realize at that time that that's your coping mechanism. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you're a kid. You, you did what you needed to do to get through what you needed to get through. And exactly. You, it was you went through, I survived it. Yeah. And, and you went through a lot. I mean, you really did. Like you say, you ran away. You were on the street. You were home. You were in juvie. You were in treatment centers. And, and so you were exposed to a lot of therapy. I mean, it, it was in there and stuff, but all the pieces didn't really, really click. Exactly. It was like I got bits and pieces of the puzzle from all these different professionals who were helping me over the years. And then at the end, it all finally went together. So like my mom was saying, if I hadn't had all of that extra background that I got little bits and pieces of, I wouldn't have come together the way it is now. I agree with her. 
that yeah. having access to all of those things and then really being willing to face yeah. your your fear, right? And that's the hard part, I think. That's, sorry, go ahead, Mom. Um, it seems like um, those, there were foundations that were placed. There were tools that were put in a tool chest and whether she was able to access them or not, you know, that had come later, like she said, to synthesize. But I think that if those tools weren't there, maybe she wouldn't have had the language or the clue of that there was a possible solution that she could pursue. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was valuable, even though she wasn't able to fully access them at the time. I think they were doing quiet work in the background, just present and available. So that when she could let them in, they were there. Yeah. I mean, how many kids, how many kids out there that Lauren even knows never about any treatment or support and have no clue that there is a way out of the box or that they're in a box or how to reach out or that there can be another way or could, you know, they, they don't even envision it. And if you don't first envision it, you're never going to get anywhere. And I mean, think about those kids that you know that are like that, that are kind of stuck. They don't know any different. Yeah, and they think it's never going to end. That's the biggest thing. When you're in that feeling, you think, I will never feel any different than this. This I'm this, I'm going to feel this way forever. It's just going to get worse. There's no way out. And like, even when you're in it, you don't feel like you can even try to get out. Like, you don't have the energy to get out of that mindset and those feelings and the pain of it. You don't feel like there's a way out. So you just keep continuing the cycle of covering up, fixing the problem so that we don't have to like go through that pain too. That's the worst part. Like dealing with it is the hardest part, which is why I ran from it for so long because I couldn't deal with it. But when you look back at it now, do you think that dealing with it actually wasn't the worst part? Don't even I don't know that's it I think it's just as hard but it, it made me not have to deal with it like right now I'm still going through stuff but it's not even a fraction of what it was 10 years ago but well those few steps was hard the first few processing the pain and talking about it it was hard but then it gets easier as it goes on and life is always going to throw you upset right that's what life is about but now, because you've been able to process all of what you held, it feels like now when things come up, you have a lot more space within your emotional well-being yeah. to yeah. deal with them as they come up. Is that right? Yeah, and these still come up all the time. I still have tons of, like 10 years ago, if I was battling half the stuff I battled now, I probably would have died. But now I'm like taking a deep breath and then handling it and then moving on the next day because I have the capacity. I, I dealt with the older pain that's already gone now. So now I have the room to be able to deal with it. I think you said such a brilliant thing in saying that when you're there, you know, in that space, it's you, you don't even imagine what your life could be. And that's why when I see the pictures of you all and I see your beautiful kids, I think it's so important, Lauren, that you're there to show other people, like, look at how happy my life is. No, it's not perfect. Life can be hard, but you have joy in your life every single day now. Yeah. And it's exhausting, like being a single mother of two going to school full time is like the hardest job I've ever done. But every single day I have like so much to be grateful for, like compared to where I was sitting in TV, like sitting on the bench or sitting in a bushes with someone using drugs. Like and now instead, like I'm driving my own car to my own apartment where my kids go or I go to my college. Like it's a lot. It's a lot better to deal with the pain. Yeah, it's just. Taking those first few steps to get there is what people stop at. It's why they don't push through. I'm amazed that you are a single parent of two kids <laughs> and in school and handling it all. 
right? Like I'm a single person. I can barely handle my own life. So good job. Thank you. Angela, do you remember back in those days, like what it was like for you? I remember it was very painful. Um, You know, when we talk about where Lauren is now, what imagining if she could come hi baby um imagining if she could come to this stage i would have to say yes that was always my vision and i have i always hold great visions for lauren and i i'm a believer in that they could tell you make it or keep trying and keep battling and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and i mean I remember they were very, very dark and painful days. Oh. And there was a lot of worry about, you know, was she going to die somewhere out on the street? Yeah, I, I think it was, She, I think she told me it was a goal of hers at one point that that's what she was planning on doing. And I was, I was so upset with the hospital one time when they released her and they wouldn't put her on a 5150 because she wasn't an imminent danger to herself. <laughs> she was planning on killing herself, but the method that she was going to use was too slow to qualify for a 5150. So we had to leave her because if you're not going to accomplish the deed within <laughs> a few hours, then please move along. <laughs> I was so pissed at so many of the policies and the procedures that were out there that were, you know, not supportive or not helpful. But for myself, it, it took me to get to a place of separation where I could say, and, you know, my faith and my vision of what life is and what's next in life, you know, like, this isn't the end all be all. So why am I so freaking out about what's going on right here, right now? I believe in eternal progression. I believe in life continuing after this life. So why was I so hooked and stuck on that? And it wasn't until I could separate myself and say, okay, my job is to love Lauren. And I'm going to put that out there. And if she ultimately chooses to, you know, pass this life away, give it up, die in drug use on on the street somewhere. That's how she chose, and it was her. It was her um, individuality. It was her choice, her autonomy. She could make that choice and do that with the life she was given. And it will all be sad about it, but that was her path, and and that was okay. And I would see her again. And so I could focus then on loving her and having more peace with that instead of trying as a parent to like, you know, force her into something. And I, and I also remember letting go and letting go and letting go of my visions of what, what I wanted or hoped for or whatever, and just getting down to the bottom line. of It's all, it's all I can do. And my only job is to love. And when do you think that started to happen? I remember I remember uh, standing in our house in Ojai with a Q-tip cleaning the corners of, um, we had these French doors with these little windows, and I was just cleaning the, <laughs> the little corner because I was so stressed out, and I stood there, and, and I just went, okay, her breath is not my breath. If her breath stops, my breath doesn't stop. Okay, what's my job? Who am I and who is she? And I, I got to have that separation. How old was Lauren at that time? Um, I think this was after DTR, after the house in uh, the, the Malibu Hills area. I want to say she was 15. 15-ish. It was, it was right towards the end before... Right before you went to juvenile hall, I think. Yeah, I was probably about 15 then. How old were you? Do do you remember when I met you guys? I think you, I think um, juvenile hall came after 
Kathy was helping because I think Kathy was maybe helping when you were 14, maybe. I think we started when you're 14 because because that would have been like ninth grade. Yeah. So so after you know we got because uh, that happened um, after Phoenix, Lauren. Well, in Phoenix, and then I went to UB right after I started, I believe. I remember wearing the ankle monitor around Phoenix, and then I went to Chaparral. Okay, by the time I went to Chaparral, you were already like, hey, I'm yeah. going to do this. Yeah, thing. and I, I was with you guys in the Chaparral portion. Yeah, yeah so this, this was, so that was in the middle of it, of your time with us. Yeah. And, and because Angela, you really were willing to try to do anything possible to help Lauren. I mean, you, you tried everything. You did. I mean, you you never gave up hope that there was something out there that was going to help her. Yeah. And, and of course, I didn't know what that was. And, you know, even with the juvenile hall, that was a risk, right? Yeah. That choice, when you, it was just another tool to try, right? Because we need something. Um, these other things weren't working. But when you when you choose juvenile hall for your child, what do you you know to allow her to have that consequence? Yeah. And to taste that, do you teach them how to be a harder person, a harder criminal, or you know, worse things? Or do they see it and they go, Oh, I don't like this. And we got lucky that Lauren looked at it and went, Oh, I don't like this. And it was yeah. a risk though. But even at then, Lauren, you you learned sort of to act differently, yeah. but you didn't feel differently, yeah. correct? I wasn't acting out, stealing and running away, and like, I wasn't doing drugs, but I was still in just as much pain, but I was smiling on the outside to where no one else was affected by it anymore. I wasn't hurting everyone else by it. I was just holding it all inside of me, and I still felt dead inside almost every day, and I hated my life just as much, but I just, I carried on, like my mom said, like, I just... I kept faking it, hoping that one day it would be better, but I had more hope at that point that it would get better. I just didn't know when. You were like a, being a good soldier. You were yeah, yeah. just powering through it. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what? I've been through worse at this point. I, um, I, yeah, it was, I'd been through worse. And then I remember we had, um, remember when we had the co-eds with yeah. the youth partner? Yeah. And you seem to have a nice relationship with yeah. that person. That seemed to be at least somebody you could talk to and you felt kind of like you had some support. Yeah, Denise, I remember Denise. She was she was great. She was really good and she was a very positive influence. And I felt like I looked up to her. She was a tiny bit older than me and I admired a lot of what she had. So it was definitely a good role model for me. <laughs> And then you you went through high school, right? Mm -hmm. And I grad they told me I was going to graduate a year late, but instead I did a year early after transferring to Chaparral. Yeah, because you could go at your own pace, right? Yep. And yeah. you could also trust yourself that you were that you had some intelligence. Yeah, I I didn't think I could do it until I tried and did, and I was terrified to try. I, I'm I'm that person I can't fail. So if I think I'm gonna fail, I'm not I'm gonna try it. That way I don't look like a failure because that makes sense in my mind. So I was like, well, kind of try this, and then I got A's, and I was like, okay, I'm in now. Yeah, because you you're a smart girl. That was never the issue, but I think you were very insecure about your abilities. Yep, and. Proving to yourself, giving yourself that little bit of confidence. Because I remember you graduated a year early. I remember once you sort of found a program that you fit in and it didn't require too much of your time. Right. It wasn't as structured sort of as like a yeah. comprehensive school with yeah. all the kids and all of that. Yeah, it didn't yeah. have all that bureaucracy and the drama of the social yeah. You didn't have to deal with that social pressure on top of that. Kids learn and grow through socially navigating, right? As part of that Ericksonian developmental stuff, she, she, she just kind of took that out of the equation. 
But I went through a lot of that the prior two years of high school. I went through like a lot of bullying too in the first few years. I went through a lot of bullying through middle school even. It was it had yeah. So I think it was great that I went through an independent studies-ish type of program to where it was just me and my schoolwork and learning. Do you have any idea why you were bullied? Because of my acting out, because I was sleeping around, because I was on drugs, because I was, I got bullied because of how I dealt with my pain. And to other kids, they're like, hey, this isn't normal. So they picked on me for it. They're like, we, normal kids don't do this. So instead of leaving you alone and just being like, whatever, do your yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think they were kids too. So they, they see someone who's completely different. No one else is doing this. They're going to go towards that. And they're going to draw attention to that because they don't know anything else. Yeah. Right. right. It really wasn't personal. Exactly. It's just, they're going to pick on anyone who's different. And I was doing a lot of things that was drawing attention towards myself. Yeah. But there's a little bit of, well, who's going to tolerate being bullied? And you are a very sensitive person. Yeah. And it, it hurt you. Yeah. So they, they got that feedback. Oh, bully her. She reacts. She crumbles. It hurts her. Yay for us. Let's bully her again. Terrible. Yeah. I think we should freeze middle school kids and let them back out afterwards. <laughs> middle school really is the hardest time. It really is. I tell parents that all the time. And girls especially are awful and they're awful to each other yep if you could say something to your younger self to to lauren in middle school what would you want to say to her i i would think i would just tell myself the pain will end one day it will get better because i i didn't believe my life would ever get better and I thought I would just, I thought I did like my mom said, I thought I was going to die in the streets. I thought that I was going to either kill myself, which I actually attempted to quite a few times because I was so over the pain. I was just, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. And I, I wish I could tell myself, like, you are loved. You are good the way you are. You don't need to, you don't need to do this. I wish I could tell myself that. That you're valuable. Yeah. And that you're lovable exactly as you are. You're perfect. Yeah. Exactly and I didn't believe that for a lot of years. For a lot of years, I didn't believe that. And it's still, sometimes I still struggle with that, but it was, was not until the last couple of years that I pieced it together. I'm like, I am the perfect person for someone in the world. If you don't like me, then you're not my person in my circle. Then you don't belong in my circle. And I, I for a long time, tried to like fix myself so I could belong in everyone else's circle. So if I didn't match theirs, then there's something wrong with me. And it took me a long time to see that. <laughs> and that's a piece of information that you could give to a, your younger self. Like, you're good. You're good. Yeah. You're Not everyone's meant to be in every place, right? Like, be with people who appreciate and love you. And yeah. if there are none of those, appreciate and love yourself because you're yeah. valuable. Yeah. Lauren, you really, you really have done so much with your life. How old are you now? 22. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still young. But... <laughs> you're a baby. And I think we have a lot of great things to come from this young lady. I know she's capable of so much. I, I agree. And the most important thing she's capable of and doing is loving herself, accepting herself, loving herself, and giving that knowledge to her kids from a very young age. Yeah. Because that's the piece, right? When you can see somebody as they are and love them as they are and help them understand they are lovable and perfect exactly as they are. What more is there? Yeah, and I think that's all everyone wants, just to feel like they're enough. That was one of the things that's damaged me my entire life, I feel like. And part of my borderline personality disorder, I never feel like I'm enough. 
So I've been working through that, and that was one of the pains that I was having. I felt, I need to do more. I need to be better. I need to be more of this and more of that. And in reality, I was just not, I need to be myself. Instead of trying to be a picture of what everyone else wants me to be. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most people don't feel like they're enough. Most people don't. And people who will tell you that they do, generally have a little bit of a dark space that they're not acknowledging. (laughs) Maybe we have a good moment. Maybe we feel okay for moments. Yeah, Yeah. right. But I think that that's a common theme that people don't really acknowledge and talk about. And I appreciate your earnest conversation and being able really to, to identify those things because there are so many young adults, young kids who are in that place and they don't see a hope and their parents don't see a hope for a way out, you you know? What are you studying at school? Um, Right now I'm actually going, I'm doing pre-nursing classes, going to nursing. (laughs) Yeah, right now I'm in math and psychology um, and human development. Well, I I think... The psychology of human development, you are right up your alley. That's now, exactly I mean, I know we have to take I went into my psychology class and my teacher was trying to explain to us. He, so, like, he said a few things, made it, did one of those tricks where he was able to read our minds or whatever. He got us to say something. He could read our minds. And he was saying, now, how did I get you to think that? And I was just saying, that's just manipulation. Like, that's most people that I've known for the last 10 years. I'd be great in this class. I, I know manipulation well. That's all psychology is. <laughs> well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree then, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's actually very, it's a very cool class. Good for you. Yeah. It's like you're taking all of your past experiences mm-hmm. and utilizing them now to build your future. Well, I you think know, a lot of things, right? There's a lot of strengths in th- that she can tap on from her experiences and just um, what she was even born with or, or grew up to develop, right? We always know that you have that, right? You you have that great sense of empathy, a good intelligence, mm-hmm. a good intuition, ability to work with others. So I think all those skills and all the experiences in survival. And the physical pain, so I can understand that. A lot of compassion. A lot of compassion. And and your ability to communicate, Lauren, is amazing. The the mirror, the way that you sit right here and talk and explain these things, there are very few people that I know at any age who could be so clear um, and concise about this process. And I, I really do believe that you are an angel on this earth and that you're going to bring, hopefully I can get this together. Um, yeah. I have an editor and I have a few other things out there, but that that was really, and you're, both of your willingness to talk to me about this because you are a beacon of light in this universe for so many who don't have any beacons out there, Lauren. I've actually lost a number of friends recently because of it. Like I've known quite a few people died and lost someone very, very close to me because of a lot of darkness. And it's, it does take a lot. So it's, it's important when you see the good things to be able, like I would love to share any part of my story because I'm like, if I can help anyone not feel the way I felt for 10 years, like that's all like that was it's beyond hard. And being able to work through that is the best thing in the world. And I've, I've known too many people that couldn't, that are now gone, that like had the huge intelligence and the biggest heart in the world and were had so athletic and they could have been a football player, like so smart and they had so much going for them and now it's gone because they couldn't get through it because they had no resources or they didn't believe that there was any light at the end of the tunnel. And so I, I'm glad if, if my story helps anyone, then that's, that would be awesome. Well, I, I feel like one day you are going to be in a position to really be able to help people. And that's beyond nursing. I feel like that, that God 
is working with exactly who you are to bring your light into this universe to reach out to those who really need you. And I think that one day you will be able to, if you are so inclined to develop a career around that, to actually support yourself and your kids, not only with your nursing and whatever you do with that, but by being able to reach out and partner with some of these families and people because you have walked that walk and, yeah. and you're on the other side, Lauren. You are on the other side. And yeah. there are a lot of people who don't get to the side you're on. Yeah, it's, there's not actually. There's very, very small fraction of people who have gone through the things that I've gone through and survived it. And I, it's really hard to get through. And I, I don't know if I... I don't know if I could because I, I don't have good boundaries. I have too much empathy. So I'm going to be over here like trying to help someone too far past where I should not be helping them. Like I, I, I want to be able to make a difference, but maybe, one maybe day. That's later, maybe that's yeah. Yeah. one day Lauren, we're, we're all works in progress. Right. Yeah. And so, and I understand what you're saying because of my work, Mm-hmm. I don't work like a typical lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I take every every person that I work with is it's extremely personal to me. Yeah. So I don't shut off either. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to develop those skills better, like yeah. you say, with more boundaries and doing it in a different yeah. way. So, you know, we all are learning and learning how to do these things, but I have another question for you and and you may not want to answer this and you may not know the answer, but if you can and you do, I would like to know, like, what was your darkest moment? I think my darkest moment was after I'd gotten sober off all drugs, I'd been clean off meth for about two years. My best friend, Lily, who I'd known since I was a baby, had died. And uh, right before she died, she had made me a promise. Literally a month before she died, I'm not kidding you. She said, what would you do if I died? I said, I would go back to doing math or I'd kill myself. And she said, uh, well, you have to promise me you'll never do that. You'll go to college. You'll get married. You'll have kids. Promise me. She died a month later. Um, and then about a year after she died, I had left my abusive relationship. I had been in for five years. And I had moved back. And I was handed a meth pipe from someone that I knew. And I, they were like, here, do you want to do it? And I was four years clean at that point. But I just lost my best friend, just left this emotionally abusive relationship. And I was sitting here having been out partying for so long. And I was like, I don't want this. This is still dark. This is just, and I, I literally got up and left and went home. And I was like, uh-uh, nope. Yeah, that was, and then I got pregnant like two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. But yeah, <laughs> it was... That, that's amazing. You were sitting at the precipice, right? Am I am I going backwards and numbing this pain? Or am I moving forward? Yeah. And you chose yourself. In that moment, you chose yourself. You chose life. I know. It's just it's it doesn't hurt right now, but remembering how how painful that was, remembering how much pain I was in. It was I wasn't on drugs, but I don't remember the first year like after that. It was just blocked out of my memory because it was so horrific. Because it was so hard. And here you sit, right? Here you sit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it took a lot to get through. It takes a lot, but it's definitely worth it. I don't even, I don't, I don't know where I would be without my kids, though. Like, I think they literally saved me. Like, I. Well, you saved yourself first. Yeah. <laughs> you saved yourself first. Yeah. yeah do, you, do you do 12-step meetings or any of that? No, I did for a little while. And they didn't help. Um, but once I started talking to therapists and dealing with my stuff and my diagnosis, then it was it wasn't hard to not use. Right. Once I don't want to have to numb the pain, that's when I'm okay. That's yeah. <laughs> we'll let it out and then we're fine. Exactly. 
okay, that's I can't hold it in or that happens. Like I can't bottle it down because then I will explode. I have to always be letting it out and always dealing with things right as they come. That is amazing skill to have, and it's amazing insight. And Angela, if you had to say something to other parents who are out there who are experiencing the things that you were all those years ago, what would you say to them? I, I guess, I mean, like I said earlier, our job is to do the loving, and we're there to witness this unfolding life. So we, we just provide the love and the support that we are able to give and have faith that things will progress as they need to um, and to just keep keep on, keep enduring, right? Have the faith, keep enduring, take care of yourself. Remember your job is just to do, just to love them. And and that really was, I mean, that's a beautiful thing, right? That that is the statement is and during that time when you were doing all this, you were not only immersed in what was going on with Lauren, but you actually did have some positive things in your life as well at that time. You were working, you have a really great marriage. So you didn't collapse into, oh, poor, pitiful me, mom, with this situation, even though it was extremely hard on you during those years. Right. But I think, I mean, it took for me, that, I think that could have happened. And I don't know if that's something that you witness or that happens to parents um, commonly. But for me, it could have happened. It wasn't until that moment. And I think for me, it was. Al-Anon, um, yeah, I think it was Al-Anon, and probably the NAMI classes, um, and maybe the family therapy, all that, that slurry of, you know, solutions coming in there that allowed and supported me to see, as well as my faith and my experience with God and um, life, and, you know, I had lost my mom. I guess I lost my mom the year before Lauren was born. You know, she they they traded off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that experience losing my mom and then my grandparents after that helped me to really solidify my belief in 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 this life not being the end all. So having that perspective, all those things came together where I could say, you know, I don't need to be destroyed. It's not my job to be destroyed. Me being destroyed wouldn't help Lauren anyways. My job is to stand here and witness whatever beautifulness comes out of her life and to love her and give love. And that's okay if I keep breathing. And it's okay if I'm happy and she ends up dying. It's okay if I breathe and she's holding her breath. Right. You holding your breath with her isn't going to change anything. And the other thing you said that I actually just talked to a parent about the other day was letting go of your ideas and hopes for Lauren and her life is almost like a grief process, right? Like you have to grieve what your picture was and then learn just to be in love the picture that is, appreciate the picture that is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That comes back to recognizing her autonomy and that she owns that life and that that path is her path, not my path. I'm not going to, you know, we, we have all these visions, hopes, and wishes for our children. You know, I had a great time myself in junior prom and senior prom. I hoped that she would enjoy those things. Um, you know, I, I used to love, um, and I used to ask, Lauren to come do international travel with me and see all have all these experiences and everything. And at the time, those just were not things she was interested in. So just letting go, let it go. She's not going to care about the proms. She's not going to care about the football game. I'll travel now with you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to travel? 
heard that invitation today. <laughs> she was going to walk how she wanted to walk, and that was okay. And that was okay, you know, that I had to become okay with to get to the bottom line of what, what, who am I as a parent? What does it mean to be a parent? The, 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 the prom and all those other things, they are not the definition of it. There are all these extras that we confuse ourselves with, right? It's just down to her spirit and my spirit. And I get to see that spirit and to love that spirit and to try to encourage her to hold on. You know, I used to say something to Lauren. Future Lauren really wants you to hang out. Future Lauren has a lot of fun things to do. You should stay and wait and see her. I forgot about that. <laughs> and you wait till you meet her. And I'm glad she stayed. Yeah. I forgot. I remember you used to always say that. <laughs> But you didn't believe it at the time, did you, Lauren? Not in the slightest bit. I would have never thought my life would be half what it is now, right now. Like, I I couldn't even see a couple years ahead, really. I think my mom or a therapist or someone was asking me, like, what do you see your life being like in five, ten years? And I'm like, I can barely tell tomorrow. Like, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do later today. I don't. I don't, I didn't see a future for myself. And it was, it's, it's doable. It's able to get past that. It's doable to do it. It's just, it's doable to work through everything. It's doable to let it go. You just have to, people have to be ready to. Like my mom, she realized I can't force her to like, and she did for a couple years. She tried forcing me to until she let go. Chasing me out the door with one shoe on. <laughs> As I was running away, she chased out one shoe on with the door wide open. Like, it, it, you're not able to let go until you want to let go. And it's for some people, it's deaths. For some people, it's jail forever. For some people, they, they're able to let go sooner. They're able to move on sooner. It's just depends on the person and what they want for themselves. <laughs> I wonder, though, if people could really, It's. I think sometimes it's hard to, to think about what you want or even understand what you want or to, to feel what you want. Yeah, I think in the moment, I was just not wanting this feeling I had, not wanting reality. Not, and I guess I didn't understand that. When I was doing drugs, it wasn't because I wanted the drugs. It was because I did not want the pain that was coincided with sober. It was coincided with not like distracting myself. You knew what you didn't want. How do I say what do I want? That's a hard question, I think. Yeah. Angela, did you always want to be an RN? No, but I always wanted to put my energy somewhere where it was valuable. So finally, I mean, you know, I, I could work a lot of hours. Yeah. And I could I can I can do a lot of things. And so if I'm gonna put in, you know, 10, 12 hour work days, I I wanted it to have some value. A great make the world a better place, be something more meaningful than you know, releasing some new software procedure policy or package, training sales team to, to do that so they could sell semiconductors, you know, who cares? It was a lot of fun and it, it raised my family, but I figured out that nursing, even, even more than being a doctor, you know, you get to have those individual relationships with people that like you get to touch in this really foundational way. Because, I mean, your work obviously helps people in that kind of way as well and being a teacher would help help people in that same kind of way but I was like when all the chips are down I want to know how to stop that bleeding and bind that bone so then we could talk about how do you feel (laughs) (laughs) really in the most vulnerable time of people's life right because they don't come in contact with you when everything's hunky-dory absolutely what I've found so far in my, the experiences that I've had is 
the greatest value and impact that I've been able to have as a student nurse for them is being present with them and and seeing them, truly seeing their, their, the person and recognizing them and what's important to them and what's worrisome to them and um, listening to them. That's like the best medicine I've ever given to any patient so far. Well, and that's exactly what Lauren and I were just talking about a few minutes ago is really being able to see people and say, you know, I see, yes, I see you. People need it. And I see myself and I'm okay and you're okay. Uh-huh. Right there where you are. Yep. You're okay right there where you are. And I'm here with you. Right. I, I can sit in your darkness with you. In your vulnerable moment, I'm right here. Exactly. God bless you both. I really appreciate this so much. I think we appreciate you, right? I mean, we needed an advocate. We needed to make some things right. (laughs) And that's what you did. That's what you helped us with. Um, Because, you know, we didn't know the ropes. We didn't know the key words to say, the, the buttons to push. We knew something was wrong, but not how to fix it. And so we... We had to come get you like like a hammer, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. I, I am so grateful that we have remained in each other's lives. So don't ever go away, ladies, because you know yeah. that this is really this is really what feeds my soul. You know? So thank you. Your stories, right? Yeah. Thank you for letting me be a part of your journey of life mm-hmm. and for sharing all that with me. And I'm always here. If you ever have any questions, should anything come up, I am always here for you, Lauren. Thank you. All right. I, I love you both. You've been listening to IEPs and more with Kathy Greco. If you have questions, guest suggestions, or comments, you can reach out to Kathy at Kathy at GrecoAdvocacy.com. No part of this podcast can be reused or rebroadcast without written consent. Copyright 2021 IEPs and more. Thanks for listening.